and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites as bad. My name is Bill. This is episode 33. Thanks for being here. Perhaps I should say episode 33, take two, because I didn't get much farther than where I'm at right now in the show the first time I tried to record this before I had to go deal with the huge crash that I heard coming from the kitchen in the next room and figured I should probably not let that go. To make the story short, cats are frustrating. But all is good now, uh, and we're back recording. So how you been, guys? Another week has come and gone. Life is good. The weather's good. The mosquitoes are wretched, tiny little beings from hell. But what are you going to do? In news this week... If you guys were paying any attention at all to the Atari Bytes Facebook page or the Atari Bytes Twitter feed, which I encourage you to do at all times because you never know when you might see something interesting, and I just really like to hear from you guys. But in the last week or so, I posted a photo of Atari Bytes Leap into the future, all the way to the Atari 7800. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I now possess a gently used, reasonably priced Atari 7800 console, and I am very happy with it. I'd never actually played a game on the Atari 7800. I had never even seen one in person, but I had an opportunity to get one, uh, so I did. And it came with a few games, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's fun. I can kind of tell, well, two things. One... Everything that I've heard about the controllers being garbage is totally accurate. They work fine, I guess, for what they're supposed to do, but they are a total hand cramp city. So I immediately went looking for some Sega Genesis controllers and my Ed Ladin adapters on its way. So that takes care of that issue, I hope. But the games that I've been playing, uh, I've enjoyed. I can already kind of tell that my heart is always going to belong to the Atari 2600, but I like this opportunity to spend more money on Atari 7800 games. Um, I mean, this opportunity to expand my gaming horizons and probably spend more money. Anyway, so that's kind of fun. So periodically I may check in uh, let you guys know how life with the 7800 is going. Uh, in other news, I want to give a shout out to a podcast I discovered recently. It's a fairly new podcast, actually. They've only got I think a handful of episodes, as far as I can tell, out so far. It's called the Film Reroll Podcast. I tweeted recently that I thought that the Film Reroll Podcast, having listened to it now, might be the spiritual sister to Atari Bytes. What it is, is a podcast with a group of friends who I gather maybe are also actors, or film students, or do something in relation to film. And they're also Dungeons and Dragons fans. So what they do, uh, each episode, a group of them gets together and assumes the role of a character from a movie. It might be Speed, or Raiders of the Lost Ark, or Back to the Future 2, or Frozen, or Wizard of Oz. I think they've done a couple other ones too that I can't think of right now. And they have a Dungeon Master, and if you know anything about D&D, each character in a D&D campaign has certain attributes. Strength, intelligence, 
uh, luck, wisdom, I don't know what all the categories are. I played D&D a tiny bit in high school, but that was a while ago. So they assign, and I don't, I don't know how they do this exactly, this all takes place before the actual recording of the podcast. They, they break down each character from the movie and assign values to these different attributes. And then each player in the game assumes the role of one of the characters from the movie. Dungeon Master sets up the opening scene of the movie. The players try to respond to each situation in the film slash game as they believe the characters in the movie would. But their success at doing that is dictated by the roll of the dice, like in D&D. And what happens then is when you rely on a roll of the dice to dictate your outcomes, things can go off into weird tangents, and that's where the fun comes in. They don't always, in fact, very rarely follow what actually happened in the movie. They start there, and then they go off into a lot of weird and humorous tangents. So it's just a good time. It's a good podcast. Like I said, in spirit, it kind of tries to do with films what Atari Bytes has been trying to do with Atari games. Take something familiar, something that's already creative in its own way, and you know, stand it on its head and just look at it a different way. So go check out that podcast. But as always, wait until you're done listening to this episode first. In other news, I'm recording this. I don't know if I said this already. I'm recording this on Monday. I guess it's the 29th of August. And I was sad to see that Gene Wilder passed away today. He was 83 years old. Very famous comedic actor, of course. Probably known most widely, I would guess, for his iconic role as Willy Wonka in the original Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory. I can't talk tonight. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Not the Johnny Depp Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from a few years ago. That movie was just flipping weird. But Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, of course, beloved childhood classic. At least for me. I'd show it to my kids. I don't think they were all that impressed. But I like it. Although, actually, when I think of Gene Wilder, I gravitate more towards Young Frankenstein or the producers, both of which I really have the urge now to watch. Which is weird when somebody famous passes away, uh, somebody that you, whose work you enjoy, but may have haven't thought much about for years, now they're dead and all of a sudden all you want to do is re-experience their work. So I'm going to hurry up and quit recording so that I can go watch one of those movies. So rest in peace, Gene. Thanks for everything you did for the entertainment community. In other news... Atari Movie Update. This week's Atari Movie Update is... There is no Atari Movie Update. However, I am expecting, within the next week, to ride a huge tsunami of popular will to propel me into the writer's room for the Centipede or Missile Command, or both, I'm available, uh, movies that Atari's supposed to be creating. Because... Recently, I got an endorsement from the guys at Pie Factory who have put all the weight of their popularity behind my campaign to write these movies. So, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I will make sure to mention you when I accept the Oscar for Best Screenplay. Okay, and I think that's it for news. So, without further ado, this week's game is Othello, an Atari port from 1981. No, there's no glitch in your download. You heard me correctly. 
This Atari story imagining podcast is taking on a strategy board game about flipping squares from black to white or vice versa. Yep, lots of obvious story potential there. Reading from the manual, we're told that you should use your joystick controllers with this Atari game program. Be sure the controllers are firmly plugged into the left and right controller jacks at the rear of your Atari video computer system. And then, wait for it, hold the controller with the red button to your upper left toward the television screen. God, I love that instruction. It orients me to the universe in a way that no amount of therapy or family harmony or professional success ever could. Thank you, Atari. Anyway, what was I talking about? Um, yeah, so basically use the joystick plugged in the left controller jack for one-player games, uh, and then obviously you plug in the other controller if you have a two-player game. Gameplay and objective. You'll need strategy, foresight, and cunning to be a success at this game. Well, I'm screwed. Anyway, the field is made up of a grid containing 64 squares. Each player is designated by a color, white or black, and takes turns trying to capture as many squares as possible. When you capture a square, it becomes your square and changes to your color. Your corresponding score is displayed at the top of the screen. To capture a square, you must outflank your opponent. To do this, you must position your squares on the grid so that one or more of your opponent's squares is in a row which is bordered on each end by one of your squares. For example, uh, and then they give you basically some diagrams showing you how to do this. And it says you may also outflank your opponent in more than one direction, horizontal, vertical, or diagonal at one time. And then it shows you a diagram of how to do that. The Atari manual should have foreseen that 30 years later I would be doing a podcast, an audio podcast, where their little diagram would be absolutely no help at all. Jeez, Atari, no wonder you went bankrupt. I'm kidding. Only kidding, Atari. I love you, Atari. Please hire me to write your movies. Okay, thank you. Back to the manual. If you have no available moves to outflank and capture at least one square, the cursor changes to your opponent's color after one second, and you forfeit your turn. That's kind of draconian. If neither player can make a move, the game is over. This can occur when one player has no pieces left on the board. It is also possible to end a game when there are blank squares on the board and both players have pieces left, but there are no legal moves. For a serious challenge, try defeating the computer 64-0 in game 1. I could totally do it if I wanted to. Just saying. Using the controller. To move the cursor, move the joystick right, left, forward, backward, or diagonally to move the cursor in the same direction on the grid. When you move the cursor off one edge of the grid, it will wrap around the playfield and come in on the opposite side. To position your move, move the cursor to the desired square and press your red controller button. The square then becomes yours and changes to your color, white or black. Um, that explains how the game select switch works and the game reset switch. Left difficulty switch. In the, pos in the A position, this switch causes the game to go into a setup mode in which either player's joystick can be used to position squares on the grid. To do this, place the cursor in the desired square using the joystick. As you press and release the red controller button, the square will alternate between white, black, and black and blank, or green. Use the setup mode to work out specific problems or to work on experimental situations. The scores at the top of the screen will change as your position as you position squares around the grid. Put the left difficulty switch in the B position for normal gameplay. Right difficulty switch in the A position. 
the black player moves first. In the B position, the white player moves first. The color of the cursor indicates which player is up. Note, the official tournament rules for Othello... Hold on. There are or were Othello tournaments? Why has the Olympics not adopted this? They already have a sport where you ski and shoot things. Why not Othello? Anyway, the official tournament rules for Othello require that the black player always move first. This version of the game from Atari includes the option of allowing the white player to move first, thus providing an advantage over the computer. Ah, I get it. Because even back in the 80s, Atari knew, as we all did, that computers were evil and would one day take over the world, so we had to do whatever we could to put them in their place. Well, that seems to have worked out well, as I sit here surrounded by computers for my games, computers for my recording, computers to send me notifications when my followers on Twitter tweet at me, computers to hold my notes for the show tonight, and anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, right. The official tournament rules for Othello. Well, we won't worry about that right now. Game skill level. There are four Othello games in this game program. Each game number signifies a particular skill level, except for game four, which is for two players. Game one is the beginner level, game two is the intermediate level, game three is the expert level. And then, like I said, game four is the two-player level. Scoring. Each square you capture is worth one point. You lose points when your opponent captures your squares. The left controller player's score is displayed at the upper left corner of the screen. The right controller player's score is at the upper right. All games start with two black and two white squares in the center of the grid. At the game's end, the television changes colors every few seconds. The player with the highest score wins the game. Illegal moves. You must always outflank an opponent's square or row of squares to make a legal move. The computer will not accept illegal moves and will not react to them with a raz sound. You do not... I didn't know that actually had a name, that noise that you'll hear frequently in the field report. You do not lose a turn for attempting to make an illegal move. Strategy. The following strategy is included to help the beginning player. If you are an advanced player, you may choose to use more complicated strategy, or strategy you develop yourself. A corner square can be extremely valuable since it cannot be outflanked and since it serves as a permanent end in three directions, horizontally, vertically, and diagonally. Try to capture corner squares whenever possible. Squares which make up rows on the outside edges of the grid are also valuable. They can only be outflanked in one direction along the edges, and they can serve as an outside end for three directions, two diagonals and perpendicular to the edge. Be careful when approaching the row next to the outside row. When you capture one of the squares in these rows, you become a possible bridge for your opponent to a corner or end position. A solid block of one color is often the key to winning a game. Another key to winning is dominating the corners of the grid. See the following diagrams? Ugh, more diagrams. Oh my goodness. And the rest of the manual is diagrams. But I think you get the idea. I know I played the Othello board game as a kid. In the board game, of course, you have a board which is just a felt green field. And you have these little black and white circular pieces that you flip over from one color to the other as you capture a, a row, either vertically or horizontally or diagonally. The object, of course, is if you're the white player, you want to turn all the pieces white. The black player wants to turn all the pieces black. The Atari game, I think I mentioned in the field report, the board itself is a perfectly serviceable rendition of the green field. The pieces, though, are square, which I find sort of off-putting for totally arbitrary reasons. In my head, the pieces should be round. So it looks a little off to me. 
I guess I miss that sense of, of total familiarity. I think more generally what I miss is the tactile um, part of actually physically turning those pieces over. You don't get that, obviously, with a computer game. Same problem I've had over the years with trying to play Scrabble or Monopoly or Battleship or games like that on the computer too. All perfectly serviceable um, programs that I've tried, but it's not the same as physically having the pieces in front of you to move around and trying to, you know, hear the noise of, of the pieces clinking together and stuff like that. It's just all part of the experience of playing these kind of board games that I miss in the computer versions. And aside, but aside from all that, why is Othello on Atari Bytes this week? This is a podcast with story at its core. Well, here's how I look at it. If Shakespeare could give Othello a go, then so can we. Few people know that Shakespeare was a grand master at Monopoly. But, unfortunately, every time he tried to play Operation, the patient died every single time. So, go figure. The bard, maybe, but he was no surgeon. After the break, we flip our lids, both black and white. Othello, Act 1, Scene 2 Iago Though in the trade of war I have slain men, yet do I hold it very stuff of the conscience, to do no contrived murder. I lacked, I lacked iniquity, sometimes to do me service nine or ten times. I had thought to have yerked him here under the ribs. Othello Tis better as it is. Iago Nay, but he prated and spoke such scurvy and provoking terms, against your honor, that, with the little godliness I have, I did full hard forbear him. But I pray you, sir, are you fast married? Be assured of this, that the Magnifico is much beloved, and hath in his effect a voice potential. As double as the Duke's, he will divorce you, or put upon you what restraint and grievance the law, with all its might to enforce it on, will give him table. Othello. Let him do his spite. My services which I have done this signory shall out-tongue his complaints. Tis yet to know, which, when I know the boasting is an honor, I shall promulgate. I fetch my life and being from men of royal siege, and my demerits may speak unbonneted to as proud a fortune as this that I have reached. For no, Iago, but that I love the gentle Desdemona, I would not my unhoused free condition put into circumscription and confined for the sea's worth. But look! What light comes yond? Those are the raised father and his friends. You were best to go in. Othello. Not I. I must be found. My parts, my title, and my perfect soul shall manifest me rightly. Is it they? Iago. By Janus, I think so. So, the translation of Othello from the board game to the video game... Oops. Looks... Fine, I guess. It's a little weird that it's squares instead of circles, but whatever. Um, that sound you hear is the sound of the pieces flipping from black to white. I'm playing the white character and the in on the intermediate setting. The computer is playing the black characters, and right now is beating me.
that's the sound of me trying to do a move that I can't do because I'm not in the right position. No background music, of course, no flashing lights, nothing like that. That stands to reason, I guess, um, because the board game obviously doesn't have those things. But it makes for a very quiet video game and field report. Oops. Oh, stop. At least it's some noise. Ah, now I'm ahead. Well, I was. my butt pretty royally. I don't think I can recover from this. But I shall press on. The original Othello didn't give in and neither will I. I'm also remembering more that when I used to play the well, the board game as a kid, I lost a lot. Apparently that has lost in the translation to video either. Oh, come on, I could too do that. Ah, take that. Ooh. Well. Ah. That might be a little too little too late. final stand here and then it's computer's gonna stomp all over me oh, man how does the computer do that it keeps getting all the corners which we know from the strategy section of the manual is a bad idea <sighs> something. That might be a different play. Farewell, fair computer. I knew ye well. Better than that York, dude. Okay, again, I think that's a different play. Anyway, back to you in the studio. Okay, so what exactly do we have in front of us? Thinking about story. On the surface, Othello is simply a strategy board game. 
right? You want you gotta figure out where to where best to flip pieces. You want to angle to get those corners to give yourself more control because, of course, if you're in a corner, your opponent can't get on the other side of you to flip you over. So that gives you the power. It's a strategy game. Looking deeper, though, and I think I just said this, it's a game of power. It's a game of dominance of one group, either the white or black pieces, over the other group. Each side thinks its dominant feature, being a white square or a black square, gives it authority, gives it supremacy over the other set of squares. So that got me thinking. In Star Trek, the original series, episode 15 of season 3, was an episode titled, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. In the story, two aliens, Beale and Loki, are locked in a bitter feud born of hatred that has spanned generations on their planet. Well, Loki, it's a pleasure to see you again. This time I'm sure our joining will be of a more permanent nature. Captain, you ought to be congratulated. Never before has Loki been rendered so quiescent. I will not return to Sharon with him. To a land of murdering oppressors! I told you where you were going. I allowed your fellow countrymen here simply as a courtesy. And you see how this killer repays you, as he repays all his benefactors. Benefactors? He's a liar! He raided our homes, tore us from our families, herded us together like cattle, and then sold us as slaves. They were savages, Captain. We took them into our hearts, our homes. We educated them. Yes! Just education enough to serve the master race. You were the product of our love. You repaid us with murder. Why should a slave show mercy to the enslaver? Slaves? That was changed thousands of years ago. You were freed. Freed? Were we free to be men? Free to be husbands and fathers? Free to live our lives in equality and dignity? Yes, you were free if you knew how to use your freedom. You were free enough to slaughter and to burn all the things that had been built. I tried to break the chains of a hundred million people. My only crime is that I failed. To that I do plead guilty. There is an order in things. He asks for utopia in a day. It can't be done. Not in a day. And not in ten times ten thousand years by your thinking. To you, we are a loathsome breed who will never be ready. Genocide for my people is the plan for your utopia. Insane, filthy little plotter of ruin. You vicious subverter of every decent thought. Oh, you're coming back to pay for your crimes. I know you and all those with whom you are plotting to take power permanently. When I return to Sharon, you will understand what power is. I will have armies of followers. Bella... Bella Beal. His name isn't spelled how it's pronounced, so it messes me up when I read my notes. Beal and Loki are each black on one side and white on the other side of their bodies. Physically, you know, split vertically, you know, up and down. Obviously, that's what vertical means. Um, one half black, one half white. They both have this characteristic, but on each of them, which side is white and which side is black is reversed. And this has been the source of their hatred. All the ones who are black on the left and white on the right hate all the ones who are uh, 
opposite of that. I think I said black on left, white on right. So all the white on left, black on right people hate the other ones. Dr. McCoy, on the other hand, thinks this is BS. Well, I can't give you one, Jim. I've never worked on anyone like him or anything like him. Yet you are pumping him full of your noxious potions as if he were a human. When in doubt, the book prevails, Mr. Spock. I've run tests. Blood is blood, even when it's green like yours. The organs are there. They're rearranged to a degree, plus a few I've never seen before. I've enriched the oxygen content of his blood and pumped in a strong stimulant. And I must say, his recuperative powers appear to be excellent. In fact, you know, if you know anything about Star Trek, the whole optimistic view of at least the original Star Trek series was that in the future, many of the things that plague society now have been done away with. They don't use money. They don't supposedly know anything about prejudice. I was going to say they don't have war, but they fight a lot. That's where the conflict comes from in a lot of Star Trek. But um, but they are ostensibly devoted to exploration and understanding of, all, of life in all its forms. So when Beale and Loki show up, the Trek crew is pretty perplexed. How can hatred like theirs actually exist? Erupting lava from my nostrils and danger signals that are only figments of my imagination. In the episode, Beale and Loki continue their struggle, continue fighting each other and hating each other, even after they find out that while they were off zooming around the galaxy fighting each other, and then on the Enterprise, spoiler, the two races on their home planet had managed to annihilate themselves, and the planet was just a dead, burning husk. This, however, did not deter Beale and Loki from stopping their fight. His judges are all dead. Captain, the transporting mechanism has been activated again. Of course. It is Beale, Captain. Another life form has appeared 
make any sense. To expect sense from two mentalities of such extreme viewpoints is not logical. Their planet's dead. Does it matter now which one's right? Not to Lokai and Beale. All that matters to them is their hate. Do you suppose that's all they ever had, sir? No. But that's all they have left. Four five to two, Mr. Sulu. Set course for Starbase. So perhaps this could be a a template. I hesitate to say inspiration because it's hard to draw inspiration from such hatred. But maybe it could give us an inkling of how to address this story potential of a game like Othello. Or consider Dr. Seuss, which I do frequently. In his story, The Sneetches, the story pits the star belly Sneetches against the Sneetches who who haven't got stars upon Lars. The two groups of Sneetches roaming the beaches go back and forth, paying basically a con artist whose name I can't remember for trips through his star on and star off machines, back and forth again and again, putting stars on, taking them off, getting two stars, then three stars, then no stars, then ten stars, back and forth, back and forth until they're dizzy and nobody can remember who's who and they've used up all their money. So maybe that gives us an idea where to go with this story. Um, and then of course you have the obvious inspiration for Othello, the other Othello, the Shakespeare play. Shakespeare's Othello is a story of racism and jealousy and betrayal and revenge. Sounds like a fun Saturday afternoon board game for the family, if you ask me. Hmm. So I was just sitting here thinking something very important, and that is... I'm out of milk. You're writing myself a note. Here, hold on. Also, I'm kind of thinking maybe Shakespeare was actually Dr. Seuss. That's a mind bender. So, in light of that incontrovertible fact, I think this week I'm going to forgo the usual approach to story time on Atari Bytes, where I break down the five parts of the made-up Atari game story as I go. And instead, I'm going to take a shot at a Shakespearean, Seussian-style opus. If you don't like it, well, blame Shakespeare's wife. Everyone else does. For the record, though, for those of you playing along at home, see if you can spot the five elements of a story. The introduction, the setting for the story, introducing the characters, and where you're at. The rising action, where things are starting to happen, obviously. The conflict is becoming clear and the characters are moving towards the climax, which is sort of the peak of the story, where conflict comes to a head, and the, um, the, the critical time for the story and for these characters comes about. The falling action, where is sort of the recovery from the climax, as story threads are being resolved and coming together, which of course leads to the resolution, or denouement, if you want to get fancy, where all these threads hopefully are tied up and the story ends. Once you've spotted all those things in my effort at an Atari-based Dr. Seuss story, pass your answers to the person behind you for scoring. If that person isn't listening to the show and has no idea what's going on, 
just give them a withering, contemptuous look. Because, really, pff, why would they be doing anything else? All good? All right, here goes. God help you. In the wide open space between land and sky, in the infinitesimal brow space of a mite's eye, there's a land of great beauty and weather so fair. It's people smart, sharp, angled, and quite square. Four equal sides, no triangles these. Some black and some white, if you please. Going on about life, oft heard to bellow. Our squares are the best in all of Othello. The black ones were proud, as were the white square-wise, so much so they'd inveigled each other to switch up their sides. To say, come be squares of white, no other's teeth are so bright. And the squares that were black offered bocce ball out and back. Well, the Othellans were easily swayed, knew not what to do. Some stayed black, some others went white, and some would change color each Saturday night. On and on this stuff went like a fanatical wheel. So much so they hardly noticed Loki and Beale. Look on our misery, Beale said. Use us, for example. Our hatred left us wretched, Loki said. The evidence is ample. Well, the Othellans were moved, smacked back by the facts. Then they shrugged and fought on, ignoring them like the Lorax. And future generations look on, left only to wonder. Why aliens don't beam down to this dumb planet and plunder? And that's our show. But before we go, my thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and iTunes, of course, where you should leave a review. If you don't, I'll make you listen to more of my Susie and bastardizations. Uh, and of course, you can always check out the show notes at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merch at zazzle.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. Next time on Atari Bytes. Fall is on the way as we record this, and you know what that means. Hot chocolate with lots of bourbon in it. Well, yes, but also, are you ready for some football? Real sports football, that is. Yes, tune in to listen to a non-sportsball-type guy make up a sportsball-type story. Should be interesting. So until next time. Go play some old games. They've missed you.